Welcome to A Jolt of Joy on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm your host, Bible teacher and author, Carol McLeod. As you probably know by now, I love digging for gold in the Word of God. I believe that the Bible is living and active and has the power to change our lives today. Our current series is titled, Meanwhile, Meeting God in the Wait. And it's a rich, historical, and powerful view into the life of Joseph of the Old Testament. Joseph is my favorite Old Testament character, and I believe that he might become yours as well. Today's episode is number three in this series, so let's dig in and get started. We left Joseph approaching his brothers unsuspectingly. He'd been sent by his father to check on his older brothers who were pasturing their father's flock in Shechem. But when Joseph arrived in Shechem, they weren't there. He came upon a nameless man who had overheard a conversation that his brothers had. His brothers had moved on to Dothan. Now, Dothan was an old place, a rundown town, a city whose best days had come and gone. Don't miss the symbolism here. Joseph was hated by his brothers for being a dreamer, for looking to the future and seeing something great. His older brothers had nowhere to go but to the old ruts of yesterday. Genesis chapter 37, verse 20. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. The brothers had murder in their eyes. They were liars and they were jealous. Now, I'm not afraid that anyone listening to my voice will murder someone, but I am afraid of what jealousy will do to you. Jealousy will turn you into someone you don't want to be. Jealousy shifts your perspective from care and concern to desiring evil to happen to someone. My friend, be content with what you have. Thank God for your blessings. The way to overcome jealousy is by gratitude. It works every time. The more you become an expert at gratitude, the less you are a victim of jealousy. Because the true victims in the story are Joseph's brothers. Make no mistake about it. Joseph was not the victim because God was makashabaing every word every action, and every thought of his jealous brothers. But Reuben heard this and rescued Joseph out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him. Reuben thought that he might rescue Joseph out of their hands to restore him to their father. You know, in this verse, we see Reuben trying to save Joseph. He doesn't want the shedding of blood. So Reuben says, you can put him in the pit, but don't kill my little brother. Reuben had plans to restore Joseph to his father. Now, I just have to be honest with you. Reuben does not impress me with this decision. He's being a people pleaser. He's afraid of rocking the boat too much. Reuben was the oldest son, and he should have known better. He should have called an end to their perverse plans. If anyone had a backbone, it should have been Reuben. So remember, you are not Reuben in the story. You are Joseph. Genesis 37, 23. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, 
the very colored tunic that was on him. So the first action that Joseph's brothers took against him was that they stripped him of his garment that Jacob had given to him. Now, the first thing that the enemy will try to do to you is to take away your desire to worship. Joseph's tunic symbolizes our garment of praise. It's a robe of leadership and royalty. And the enemy wants you to think you are nobody special. I'm taking away what your father has given to you. The enemy will endeavor to put you in a place where you don't feel like worshiping. Joseph was stripped of his robe that symbolized his special relationship with his father. Worship is what symbolizes your special relationship with God, your father. My friend, don't ever give in to feelings of not feeling like worshiping. We don't worship our feelings. We worship the Lord and his goodness, his faithfulness, and his very character. Genesis 37, 24. And they took Joseph and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. The word that's used in verses 20, 22 and verse 24 for the word throw is the Hebrew word salak. And salak was always used with placing a dead body in a grave. The intention of Joseph's brothers was that he would die there, that the pit would become his grave. Joseph was actually thrown into a cistern, a dried up cistern. It was shaped like a bottle with a small opening on top covered by a stone. Now, you'll remember that Dothan was a dying city, and these cisterns were likely decrepit and no longer used by the dwindling population. Joseph's chances of escaping alive were minimal. Joseph was thrown into a place meant to become his casket. Without the intervention of God, Joseph was sure to die. So the second thing that the enemy will try to do to you is to throw you into a pit, the pit of despair, the pit of depression, the pit of hopelessness. And in this particular pit, there is no sustenance. There's no potential for growth or nourishment. The enemy wants to convince you and all of God's people that during your meanwhile, you have no hope of living well any longer. The enemy wants to convince you that there will be no refreshment in your meanwhile. Joseph was not the only Old Testament figure that was introduced to this pit. King David knew it well. I'm reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength. John 10.10, the very words of Jesus say, the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy that Jesus was talking about was at work in the life of Joseph. So what had Joseph done to deserve this? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Oh, he had dreamed a few dreams, perhaps been guilty of youthful enthusiasm or of basking in his father's great love for him, but he certainly didn't deserve the pit, and neither do you. Some of you might be going through life saying, I deserve this, I'm nobody special. My friend, nobody deserves to live their life in the pit. If you take off your garment of praise, you might land in the black pit of depression and hopelessness. Keep on your garment of praise. 
Don't let the enemy take it from you. Climb the ladder of worship and get out of the pit. You have an enemy just like Joseph did. Your enemy wants to slack you, throw you into a pit of blackness, of depression, of hopelessness, so that you'll die there. Well, you might not literally die, but your future will become a skeleton. You will cease to dream dreams. Your joy will die and your peace will dry up. Purpose today that you will sing your way out of the pit. Joseph's days in this pit are numbered and so are yours. Genesis 37, verse 25a. Then they sat down to eat a meal. Honestly, these brothers are so evil. After they roughed Joseph up, stole his clothes, threw him into an empty, dry pit, they sat down to dine. Have they no hearts? They are smacking and burping away while Joseph is in the pit screaming to get out. We'll learn later in the story that Joseph begged for his life. Perhaps Simeon smacked his lips while Dan burped and slurped. Maybe Levi pushed Judah aside to get a second portion while Asher cut off a large chunk of meat that had been cooked over the fire. The barbarity of these brothers allowed them to feast on the provisions Joseph had brought to them from their generous father. I hope that those of you who've been abused, mistreated, rejected, and ignored will find this portion of scripture deeply moving as well as comforting. I know you'll be able to identify with Joseph as he cried out for compassion from his heartless brothers. I hope that as the story of Joseph continues to gloriously unfold, you will commit your experience to God who heard your heartbroken cries, and who always moves to restore and rescue. However, I must not move past this section without painting yet another word picture for those of you who are reading from the grandstand of ease and comfort. Take a deep breath. Look around you. Listen for someone's cries. We dare not eat simply because we are comfortable while a hurting Joseph is crying. Do you hear it? Do you hear the sobs of a Joseph? What will you do about it? This will be the last time in the story that they eat without the help of Joseph. There will come a day when their daily sustenance will depend upon the kindness, compassion, and unselfishness of Joseph, their brother. God sees what's going on in Joseph's life. He'll settle the score. Don't think that God doesn't love you just because someone is using you or abusing you. Give God time. He is on your side. Let's continue with Genesis 37, verse 25. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. I wonder, would you wonder with me for a moment, 
When did that caravan leave from its starting point? God knew that Joseph was going to need intervention, so God planned ahead for Joseph's deliverance. At just the right moment, this caravan left a starting point, made just enough stops, encountered just enough bumps to pass through Dothan to deliver Joseph into his destiny. The caravan had no idea that the purpose for their journey was not to deliver aromatic gum, bomb, and myrrh to Egypt. God had a purpose that trumped their economic venture. This caravan, from the beginning of time, possessed a primary purpose of delivering Joseph into his destiny. If God did that for Joseph, he will certainly do it for you as well. God has seen ahead exactly what you need. This is known as prevenient grace. Now, prevenient is an archaic word. John Wesley, the great theologian, is attributed with this powerful phrase and its meaning. It means grace that has gone before, grace that precedes a person or a situation. Prevenient grace is the grace that precedes human action and powerfully reflects God's heart for his creation. The word prevenient comes from two Latin words, pre, meaning before, and venio, meaning to go. Prevenient grace is grace that has gone before and prepared the way. This caravan was God's prevenient grace given to Joseph in his time of deep trouble. One of my favorite Bible verses has always been James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives a greater grace. God has seen down the hallways of your life and knows exactly what you need. My sisters, my brothers, a caravan is on its way. Don't ever doubt it. If your life doesn't look exactly like you thought it would or should, it doesn't mean that you're missing out on what was meant for you. What's meant for you, your caravan won't pass you by. God has a reason for this annoying, frustrating, heartbreaking, meanwhile season that you are in. And honestly, it may not be about you. Right where you are, waiting for your caravan is an important part of your story. Maybe you're not stuck. Maybe God is at work behind the scenes to set you up for a miracle, for wonder. Genesis 37, verses 26 through 32. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus, they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat 
and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Let me just clear something up for you. The Ishmaelites in verse 25 are the Midianites in this series of verses. The Ishmaelites and the Midianites are actually one people group. They both descended from Abraham. But back to our story, how mean can a group of young men be to sell their younger brother into slavery, take his coat, put animal blood on it, and then lie to their father? They were a gang of hoodlums. They were heartless. They were vicious. They sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, which was the going rate for a slave. I wonder what is going on in Joseph's heart and mind while this particular part of the story unfolds. I can only imagine that his emotions are screaming out in pain. God, where are you? Why am I here? Have you forsaken me? Will you please send me some help? No matter what you're going through, no matter how you've been mistreated, even for righteousness sake, there is something happening beyond what you see with your natural eye. I'm sure at the time that Joseph didn't think that the caravan was his answer, but it was. What you see with your natural eye may not seem to be your answer either, but you don't see what God sees. You don't know the potential for promise in your circumstances. You don't realize that you have been divinely set up through your circumstances for greatness and for destiny. Genesis 37, verses 33 through 35. Then Jacob examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Shoal in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Jacob, Joseph's father, wept for many days. He was beside himself with grief. It was so extreme that he thought he would die. Have you ever thought you would die because of some disappointment? I have. Many of you know what I'm talking about, miscarriages, the other woman, deaths, the tearing up of dreams, losing your job or a prodigal child. When will we learn to look past what we see? We must not base all of our responses to life based on what we see with our natural eyes. We do not live by facts. We live by faith. It's who we are. The doctor's report is facts, but Jesus came to heal all our diseases. Now that's faith. Your checkbook might tell you the facts, but when you're a giver and a tither, God promises to provide for you. That's faith. Your child might be in rebellion. That's a fact. But the Bible says that it's not God's will that one should perish. That's faith. So if you're in a meanwhile, find a scripture to dispute your facts with faith. We serve a God who redeems hopeless situations. He breathes life 
into dead places. He turns tragedy into triumph. He rescues his children from pits. He goes to battle for broken ones. He heals broken hearts because it is what his word says that he does. After reading of Jacob's searing agony, we come to one of the most powerful scriptures in the entire Old Testament, Genesis 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Meanwhile, when your world falls apart, when all you see is death, blood, and the black pit, when life and people have treated you unfairly, there is a meanwhile going on behind the scenes of your life. God is setting you up for your destiny, for your ministry. Do you see how God can take a horrible situation and use it for something incredible? You know, Joseph could have stayed a little shepherd boy, taking care of daddy and his brothers. He, he could have remained a person of no significance, and we would never know his name. But God took injustice, cruelty, and hard-hearted family members, and he's turning it into history-shaping events. Some of you who are listening today are going through a meanwhile time in your life. At times, a meanwhile can be just what it says— a mean while. Times of waiting can be vicious and agonizing and cruel, but God hasn't written the end of your story yet. It's your job to stay filled with faith. Look at your daily events from a historical perspective. Remember that? Dispute your facts with faith. Your meanwhile, just like Joseph's, is about to become a miracle. The theme of suffering is predominant in the story of Joseph. We can't ignore it, and it gets worse, not better. Joseph was righteous. He was called by God for greatness. He was well-loved, and yet still he suffered. What kept Joseph safe in his suffering was his faith in God and his awareness of the presence of God. Those two things— those two resolves will keep you safe as well. Our faithful God is able to bring dominant good out of suffering and evil. Never doubt it. One of my heroines of the faith, Elizabeth Elliot, has said this, suffering is never for nothing. Remember that you serve a God who turns all your meanwhiles into miracles. If you enjoyed today's teaching on a jolt of joy, I'd like to encourage you to buy a copy of my most recent book, Meanwhile, Meeting God in the Wait. Also available are the eight videos to enhance your study in this rich look at the life of Joseph. The book is available on my website, carolmcleodministries.com, on Amazon, Ironstream Media, and wherever books are sold. The video teaching series is available on my website, carolmccloudministries.com and at ironstreammedia.com. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email me at carol at carolmccloudministries.com. We love to pray for everyone who connects with us, so be sure and send me your prayer requests today. I want to remind you that when you choose Jesus, you're choosing joy. His will for your life is an inexpressible and relentless joy 
don't ever doubt it. And as always, I dare you to choose joy.